0: This is an RNZ podcast.
2: Kia ora, and a very warm welcome to Elemental, a podcast from RNZ in which we are shining spotlights on every element on the periodic table. I'm Alison Balance.
1: And I'm Alan Blackman from the Auckland University of Technology. And we are up to episode 43, which is Lead. And we have lots of things to say about lead. Ah, yes, lead. Very useful.
2: Rather deadly in a nasty, insidious, slow way. (laughs) And looking at this, I've just realised you can spell the word lead using letters from the word deadly.
1: Hmm,
2: curious. (laughs) Anyway, basic facts first, Alan.
1: OK, the vital statistics. It is a metal that has an atomic number of 82 and it has an unknown discovery date. So it's one of those ones that was known to the ancients. The name lead comes from, surprise, surprise, the Anglo-Saxon word lead, meaning lead. However, the chemical symbol for lead is PB, and you might ask where that comes from. Well, like all of the elements that were known to the ancients, it comes from either the Latin or the Greek. In this case, it's the Latin "plumbum," which is Latin for lead. And this is kind of interesting, because if you look at the Greek word for lead, it is molybdos.
2: Which sounds familiar.
1: It does indeed, because when we get to element 42, molybdenum, in a few weeks' time, then we're going to find the reason why molybdenum was derived from the Greek word for lead.
2: (laughs) Now, this podcast Elemental is about breaking down barriers, and I'm thinking chemistry phobias, for example, and it's often said that Science and art are quite different spheres of study. But we beg to differ. And, Alan, you've got a little lead poetry for us. Because,
1: well, why not? And this is a poem by Emily Dickinson. And the poem is called After Great Pain, A Formal Feeling Comes. Right, I'll put on my best uh, elocution and see how we go with this. After great pain, a formal feeling comes... The nerves sit ceremonious, like tombs. The stiff-heart questions, was it he that bore, and yesterday or centuries before? The feet, mechanical, go round. A wooden way of ground, or air, or aught, regardless grown. A court's contentment, like a stone. This is the hour of lead, remembered, if outlived, as freezing persons, Recollect the snow. First, chill, then stupor, then the letting go.
2: That's very typical, (laughs) Emily Dickinson, isn't it? Dense and mysterious.
1: Dense, yes, definitely. (laughs) Like the metal. I I won't disagree with you on that one. So, that allows us to, I guess, introduce lead, and that poem was supposedly about lead poisoning, believe Hmm. it or not.
2: Oh, no, I think I get that. I get the the chill, then the stupor, then the letting go, i.e. it finally kills you, yes, having yeah. just made life really unpleasant for a while.
1: I'll, I'll give you that. I was never good at poetry at school. I just didn't understand it. Anyway, but that's beside the that's point. That's
2: why you're a chemist, Alan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, back, back to lead, uh, which is the element that took down an empire, very possibly. And if I may say this to the editors of our online news sites, Lead, L-E-A-D, is not the past tense of the verb to lead, please. You
2: might not be a poet, but you're reasonably pedantic about (laughs) English.
1: Reasonably pedantic. (laughs) Oh, you don't know me at all. Okay, so getting back to lead again, we can look at lead back to at least 6,000 BCE, and we can trace it to modern-day central Turkey, there or thereabouts, and... We know it's been mined for at least 6,000 years, although given what is to come, I'm really not sure exactly why people have been so obsessed with mining lead. In nature, we find lead in ores, and it's pretty easy to get the metallic lead out of the ores. All you've got to do is roast the ore, and uh, the lead comes out. You drive off the oxygen or sulfur or whatever is with the lead in those ores. Way back when, with the Greeks, uh, they had the first major use for lead, and they used it as surprise, surprise, paint, which many of our listeners might be perhaps familiar with. White lead. Uh, I can remember that when I was a kid growing up. You had white lead and red lead. Greeks were doing this thousands of years ago, and they did this by exposing lead to vinegar fumes.
2: Well, we kept on using it in paint for centuries after that, didn't we? Mm Mm-hmm. Am I right in thinking it was also really useful because it's flexible, it's malleable, it's got a low melting point. I'm a diver and although I've never done it, I've heard of other divers who used to make their weights for weight belts by melting down hunks of lead in pots on the kitchen stove and then pouring it into moulds to get the right shape.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yes, I, I hope they were wearing their breathing apparatus when they did that, because yeah, lead fumes probably not the best for you. Anyway, so to get back to its history, lead is famous amongst the Romans. When I'm talking about the element that took down an empire, basically the Roman Empire was the one I was talking about there. The Romans used lead on a huge scale in, surprise, surprise, plumbing. Remember the name plumbum, the Latin word for lead? And that's where plumbing gets its name from. I know
2: that I should have known that. And you know what?
1: I didn't. Plumbing, of course. There we go. Thank you. My pleasure. (laughs) So they used it in plumbing. They used pewter vessels. So you have an alloy of tin and lead. Remember, lead is uh, very soft. You alloy it with tin and uh, you get that nice hard pewter. And both red and white lead were used for decorating uh, by the Romans. And why did they use it in plumbing? Well, it's brilliant because if you get a hole in your pipes, all you've got to do is beat it out. and You can quite simply fix a hole just by hammering the hole closed with lead pipes. So that's, you, you can understand then why they used it in their plumbing. That wasn't what led very possibly to the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. What the Romans were very fond of doing was taking grape juice, which in my book is sweet enough already... And they would put it in lead pans and boil it down. And they would, from that, get a sweet-tasting material that was called sapa. We actually know it now as lead acetate. Mm. Um, And historians and scientists have thought that very possibly this was the reason why the Roman Empire had a very low birth rate.
2: Crikey. That sweet-tasting bit of it reminds me, I've recently had a story on Our Changing World, my RNZ science show, are to do with kia, mountain parrots. And they've got a big problem there with kias hanging around townships like Arthur's Pass Village and Arthur's Pass National Park. Mm. And they love chewing on the lead roofing nails and the lead flashing because it tastes really sweet to them. And then then they have to get shipped off to the wildlife hospital because it doesn't do them any favours. And I've done stories in the past too with kaka, the forest parrot. Same Mm -hmm. issue around places like Wellington where their population is... Uh doing very nicely, but they come across all these lead roofing
1: nails. Oh God, so all living things do anything for sweet things, obviously. They do. That's a, that's a sad story. And speaking of sad stories, uh, lead was pretty ubiquitous in cities, in urban areas. And certainly in the 20th century, as we've already talked about, we did use lead paint because it was brilliant because you could cover wood with it and you're not going to get bore or anything burrowing through lead paint. Uh, But that was uh, not the worst of what we used lead for. Somebody way back in General Motors in 1921 thought it would be a great idea to put a thing called tetraethyl lead into petrol. And when they did this, the engines stopped knocking. Lead petrol, of course. Indeed, leaded petrol. And one of the guys that was very big in this area was a guy by the name of Thomas Midgley. And not content with putting tetraethyl lead into petrol, he was also involved in the development of Freon for use in fridges. He wasn't a great friend of the planet, I would say. Um, He died very, very unusually. He um, was confined to some sort of wheelchair in his later life, and he had a series of wires rigged up so he could sort of operate the curtains and the switches and everything in his room. And he managed to get tangled up in them and strangled himself. Anyway...
2: (laughs) Well, he probably did that before the ozone hole developed. He probably didn't
1: realise what his legacy to the planet was. Yes, I know. Uh, Yeah, this is really weird. I can't really understand why this is the case, but lead has been used as a quote-unquote medicine for most of the last 2,000 years. And so it's been used to treat such things as uh, skin complaints, piles, cancer, diarrhoea, gonorrhea, and it's also been used to induce abortions. And in all of these things... It's probably going to be a case of the cure being worse than the disease because you will doubtless end up with lead poisoning, which is nasty stuff.
2: Far worse than the disease, I would have
1: thought. Yes. So what we find is uh, you can quite easily test for lead if you've got uh, people's hair. And it just so happens that an ex-president of the USA, Andrew Jackson, who is on the $20 bill over there, And the great Ludwig van Beethoven, uh, both of those, their hair has been shown to contain elevated levels of lead.
2: They probably lived in houses with sophisticated lead plumbing. (laughs) And I think the problem with that is that when you get it in something like your hair, the lead is actually bioaccumulating. I mean, that's what it does in those birds. So it bioaccumulates in the brain. It's really neurotoxic. And it becomes a chronic problem, especially implicated in intellectual disabilities in kids which yeah. is pretty awful, and it does apparently cause a lot of death still.
1: Yeah, it's not good. It's better than it was with all of the uh, lead petrol and uh, lead paint and stuff. Nowadays, if you do find yourself uh, a victim of lead poisoning, you can treat it with chelation therapy, and this is a therapy whereby you inject molecules into the body that have a real affinity for lead or heavy metals in general, And um, it basically sucks them up, and then you can expel those uh, in the usual way. We find lead is very, very important in radioactivity, Uh, not radioactive in itself, although it does have some radioactive isotopes, but what we find is that many of the heavy radioactive elements, such as uranium, etc., eventually, once they've gone through their uh, decay cycle, they do end up as lead through both alpha and beta decay. The ironic thing is, if you want to protect yourself from radioactivity, the thing that you use is a lead shield. (laughs) Now, because of this, because of the fact that uranium starts as uranium and ends up as lead, if you know that uranium to lead ratio in a rock, for example, you can use this as a method of dating those rocks. So that's kind of cool.
2: Well, this whole episode has been really interesting, but I, I have to do that Tell me an interesting fact.
1: (laughs) All of this has been involved with the fact that lead is nasty for you, and this interesting fact is no different. The Franklin Expedition, if any listeners know about that, absolutely fascinating. Read a book about it. It's absolutely a, a really, really amazing story. Sir John Franklin set off in 1845, and he wanted to find a northwest passage, which was the passage between the Atlantic and the Pacific, so that would have given a quick way to go between those oceans, over the top of Canada. And sadly, the ships and the crew disappeared without trace until very, very recently they found the uh, ships. But what they did at the time, they sent out the search parties, and what they did find was the graves of three men. And they exhumed these graves in 1988, and their bodies were found to contain very, very high levels of lead. Their bodies almost perfectly preserved because of the uh, cold up there. And they traced this high lead content back to the fact that they were using lead solder in their food on board the ship. And this was a very, very new technology at that time and it wasn't really brilliantly successful, obviously, because the lead solder appeared to have got into the food, and people postulate that the party basically disappeared because of lead poisoning.
2: Well, it was probably a very good way of keeping their food safe and stopping it going rotten. Um, (laughs) They just had no idea what they were doing, and all I can say is thank goodness we've developed safer ways of canning food that doesn't involve lead.
1: (laughs) And if you're up for one more interesting fact... Oh, always. um, So this is quite scary, actually. So if you store your port in a lead crystal decanter and you leave it there for a year then Canadian scientists actually measured that the port ends up containing after that one year 2,000 parts per million of lead Oh
2: I never liked port
1: (laughs) Now I know why (laughs)
2: It's a safety feature No I I won't have any of your port from that lovely crystal decanter Thank you (laughs) It turns up in so many places doesn't it I'm thinking bullets, batteries lead acid batteries in cars Mm -hmm. We could go on But we won't. This has been Elemental, a podcast from RNZ, which you can find at rnz.co.nz slash
1: chemistry. And there is a slight similarity between lead and uh, this podcast. They both accumulate over time. Oh, nice. This is episode 43 of Elemental, and you can find the previous 42 episodes online or at your favourite podcast app. We're back next time with Lithium. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Alan Blackman. And me,
2: Alison Balance. Kia ora mai.
0: Botox Cosmetic. botulinum Toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.